You're listening to Life, the Universe, and Everything Else. Today on the show, prophecies. Spooky. Life, the Universe, and Everything Else explores the intersection of science and society. If you have questions or comments about the show, or you'd like to suggest a topic, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook, or send us an email at l-u-e-e-podcast at winnipegskeptics.com. Show notes and references can be found at l-u-e-e-podcast.com. My name is Ashlyn Noble, and I'll be your host tonight. With me today, I have Lauren Bailey. Hello. Jem Newman. Hello. And Laura Creek Newman. Hi there. So this month on Life, the Universe, and Everything Else, we've decided to talk about prophecy. It's apparently something that we've had in our topic slot for a long time that I totally forgot about. And once I saw it, I was excited to bring it back. Uh, Last month, of course, we did hauntings. So we're just continuing our spooky season with prophecies. Prophecies are, of course, just predictions about the future. Uh, Some prophets have gone on to found religions or become really famous as being on ancient aliens like Nostradamus. We're not covering anything so basic as Nostradamus today. Have we talked about Nostradamus on the show before? I feel like he must have come up. I'm sure that I prepared a segment on Michel de Nostradam at some point. Yeah, I'm certain you did. I, s- I swear I brought up the mm-hmm. the claims that he predicted 9-11 and like that. <laughs> well, maybe that was just research that I did for fun. I don't know. Today we've chosen some different prophets and prophecies to talk about. Uh, I don't have a specific order in mind, though. Does anybody feel strongly about going first? I feel strongly about not going at all since I'm editing this one. Noted. Jem would also like it noted that uh, he's very disappointed that nobody did the Great Disappointment. (laughs) I was greatly disappointed. I was trying to be less on the nose than you, okay? Uh, So, Laura has told me that her segment is a little bit of prophecy, so maybe we should ease our way in with just a little bit of prophecy. It's a story that definitely involves some prophecy, and that's what gives it flavor. But mostly it's about power-hungry sociopaths in uh, Renaissance Europe. My story takes place in Munster, which is a city in Germany. You've probably heard of a cheese of the same name. Sadly, there is no cheese in my story today. I was hoping there was going to be cheese prophecies. How long has that show been off the air now? Which one? The, the, the Munsters. Munsters. Oh, so long. Jem was just telling the world's worst joke. It still comes up like weirdly often in trivia, though. I feel like those old shows come up a lot in different kinds of trivia. There wasn't a lot of TV back then, so whatever there was made a big mark on people and the world. Yeah. And now everything is forgettable. Well, because everything is so splintered. So... Let's place ourselves in Germany, or what would become Germany in Münster, in 1532. What you need to know about Münster, if you're not familiar with Renaissance German cities and their politics, Münster was an independent city, unlike a lot of other parts of uh, of the 
the Catholic world at that time. Um, and so it had more independence in how it ran things. Um, the people there had more autonomy. It was fairly prosperous. There was a, a large um, artisans guild and and that. So there was there was arts and money and and things like that happening in Munster. And they had a little bit more opportunity to do things. So like every city, there's going to be a, a church or cathedral in it at that time. And of course, up until shortly before this time, every every church that there was in that part of Europe was Catholic. So this is taking place very shortly after Martin Luther posted his 95 theses, right? So Protestantism is spreading through Europe. In Munster, a preacher comes to town in 1532, and his last name is Rothman, and he's a Protestant preacher, and he wants to preach at the church. And of course, the Catholic church is like, no, this is a Catholic church, you can't do that. Uh, and through a long series of events, eventually, the growing Protestant population of this independent city sort of forces the Catholic church's hand, and the, uh, what do they call it, the bishop prince, who is the Catholic ruler of this city is forced to allow Rothman to preach at the Catholic church. So he starts preaching his Protestant ways and he's uh, quite a reformer and his views get more and more like liberal, if you will, not Catholic <laughs> anyway. I guess you would call him sort of a fire and brimstone type preacher. And as he preaches, it becomes more and more radical. Gnarly, radical. <laughs> yeah. So this all sets the stage for a couple years later in 1534, when an Anabaptist preacher from the Netherlands named Jan Matthias decides to make his way to Munster. Are you all familiar with the Anabaptists? Yep. Okay. So for anybody who's not as familiar with them, they were a um, Protestant group that developed uh, at the time of the Reformation as well. And they had... They had a different belief system. They took parts of the Bible literally, particularly from Revelation. They often didn't believe in the power of the political structures and that. They believed that they they should follow God's law and only God's law. And so that didn't win them a lot of favor with the power structure heavy governments of the time. So they were often chased out of wherever they were because of their beliefs and their approach to, to life and religion. So Jan Matthias uh, was originally a baker, but then he decided he was going to be a preacher in the Anabaptist movement. And he was particularly zealous and he had a very apocalyptic view of the religion and on what followers should do. And, and this type of Anabaptist preaching really caught on at the time. So he had been chased out of wherever he was, but then he heard that Munster was a pretty open place. So he went there. First, he sent a couple of his uh, right-hand men there to see if it really was an okay place for him and his followers. And Rothman, the, the preacher at the cathedral there, said, yes, please, come on in. And so Jan Matthias moves in, brings his Anabaptist beliefs, and within a few months, he has basically replaced the entire city council with an Anabaptist city council, and he has rewritten the city laws so that it's basically become an Anabaptist right now or you have to leave the city. And he starts changing everything. And one of the tenets of this brand of Anabaptism is that property is communal. And we see this in a lot of the, the groups that developed from this, right? Think of like the Hutterites, uh, for example, with communal property and possessions and that. 
they sort of took over the city by force, or there really wasn't much of a choice for a lot of people here. And a lot of people were reluctant to follow, you know, this communal living in that, but they really didn't have a lot of choice. What's different about him, so again, if you think Anabaptists, you often think pacifism, right? You think of, you know, peacefulness and and loving thy neighbor and those types of beliefs and, and attitudes, but that wasn't the type of attitude that Jan Matthias was taking. He was very much like, no, we are going to make everyone be Anabaptist. This is the only way to be a Christian. And if you're not going to do this, then you should die. So like the Amish and Mennonites, those are branches of Anabaptists, right? Yep. The Amish, the Mennonites, the Hutterites, Quakers, many of the groups where you see, especially the pacifism part of it. Yeah, so that's what I was thinking, like the uh, people who do a lot of uh, claiming conscientious objector status to avoid going to war. Or as Jan Matthias recalled Jesus saying, I come not to bring peace, but the sword. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of force there, but he was also a charismatic leader. And of course, with a lot of upstart religions, there's, there's a, a zealous movement, as you said. One of the things that really encouraged people to keep following him is that he also believed that that coming Easter, so this was early in the year, I think it was about February, where Jan Matthias had the city council replaced by an entirely Anabaptist council and changed the way the city worked on that. So he was then saying that by Easter, on Easter Sunday of that year, basically the rapture would happen. So if you're not an Anabaptist on the rapture, things are going to be really bad for you. So they're baptizing people left, right, and center or kicking them out of the city. And so he was basically preparing people. And so through that communal living, he got everybody to disown their possessions, turn into simple dress, um, that kind of thing. We've heard this kind of story before. I sense that people are going to be greatly disappointed. Oh, damn it, Jem, you ruined my story. So, yes, um... I should mention, too, at the same time, the bishop prince, who has no control over the city that he's supposed to control right now, uh, is exiled from the city, and he's trying to rally some troops to lay siege to the city. So he's kind of outside the city walls. Jan Matthias is inside. They're preparing for the rapture. Easter Sunday comes. You're right, Jim. Nothing happens. Everybody is disappointed. And Jan Matthias says, I've had another prophecy from God. Actually, he wants us to go kill the bishop prince. So that's what we're going to do. So the bishop prince has about 300 people outside the walls. Jan Matthias has about 12 people. They go charging out a gate and he immediately gets speared to death and then beheaded. So yeah. Very nice. Yeah. (laughs) His prophecy did not happen. He tried to pivot on that and immediately failed horribly. Is there any stories about like, uh, did any of these people like stop preparing for the rest of the year or did they have their Easter hams ready to go just in case? (laughs) Well, his successor was very quickly named Jan de Leiden. He'd been sort of a right-hand man a a lot of the time. He jumped in and he said, okay, well, we, uh, that didn't work, but this is still Zion. This is still the New Jerusalem, which is part of the book of Revelation and that. So we are making an Anabaptist paradise here, and I'm also king now. 
Uh, and you can call me king of the world even. And I'm getting these prophecies from God that yes, we need to keep living this way. We need to keep fighting against the uh, people outside the walls. So the, for a little while, the people go along with it. But the bishop prince outside is, uh, he's actually building up his army and he lays siege to the city. So after about a year, everybody inside the city is starving. And for that year, Yondaliden's been stringing them along saying, yes, I have prophecies. Yes, this is definitely going to happen. Uh, the, the starving is going to be worth it and all of that. But they're really losing hope. And of course, they're, they're starving at this point as well. So he doesn't really have the support anymore. And Finally, the way that this all ends is that the Bishop Prince finds a way into the walled city and massacres everybody horribly. But he doesn't actually massacre John Delayden yet there. So he captures him and he takes him and his two right-hand men. After imprisoning them for a little while, they decide that uh, torture is the best way to go about dealing with these people. So they torture them for an hour and then they do what makes this story remarkable and what taught me about this story in the very first place. They build some iron cages and they put these three people in iron cages that are then suspended on the side of the church about, I don't know, a hundred feet in the air and they put their bodies in there. Were they still alive at that they, point? They were speared through the heart with hot irons. So maybe? <laughs> I'm going to say no. <laughs> no, they were not. But then they put their just killed corpses in there so that they could not be buried and... It was to punish their eternal souls for everything they had done to the people of Munster. They don't screw around. Yeah. So I first learned about the story when I was in Munster, when I was 17, because the cages are still on the church. Wow. The church has burned down and also been bombed a couple of times, including in the Second World War, and they have put the cages back up every single time. Wow. Yeah, I can't imagine. Are, are, they're not the original cages, are they? Seems like those would be all rusted to hell by now. Well, it's the kind of thing that when you're taking care of a church, they just, it's not like they neglected that part of the church because that's sure. a really important part of the church and the story. And it's not just the church. I'm sure it's the cage of Theseus. <laughs> it is the cage of Theseus, yes. And I don't think anybody says, oh, that's exactly the cage. That's not the point of it. It's, it's what it represents. And the fact they could have easily taken it down at some point in the last 500 years. Yeah, or just let it stay down after it fell Right, but they didn't. Live for the aesthetic, folks. Live for the aesthetic. Yeah, and I remember being told this story by the tour guide of how the people of Munster were led to believe that they were going to be raptured in salvation, and so they, they gave away everything. They, they, you know, burned everything, whatever it was, and then it didn't happen. The guy's like, oh, oh, wait, no, it's actually this thing. Give me another chance, guys. So like I said, it's really a story that's much more about power hunger and political structures and that, but you know, the prophecy part of it makes it really interesting. Anyway, I'm sure we'll have a vaccine by November 2nd, right? Why you gotta be this way? There's there's gonna be a vaccine by the election. That's why you should re-elect Donald Trump. Oh yeah, definitely not gonna happen. <laughs> 100% no. And also, even if there were a vaccine, there's 0% chance that anybody who is, uh, nobody's going to have access to it. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of prophecies have to do with religion. I wonder why. Not a shocker. Uh, most of them are tied to religion in some way. But uh, we have some stories about popes up next. Lauren's special interest. <laughs> 
I originally had a different prophecy subtopic picked out for my segment, and it was really cool and really in-depth, but it required a bunch of scholarly research I didn't have access to, and time that I frittered away playing The Sims. So that topic has been relegated to the list of things for future LUEE segments or self-funded historical dissertation topics, if I'm ever independently wealthy enough, which is a list that I thought everyone had, but Ashlyn informed me today that that is not the case, so I went with my standard backup fascination of popes. And that is one complete sentence that is not a run-on. It is properly grammatical. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. I'm on record as not being a fan of Catholicism for several reasons. If pressed, I could probably come up with... How many did you say, Laura? 95 of them? Yes. I do, however, have a bit of a fascination with the historical series of popes from St. Peter on up. The scheming, the idolatry, the spending, the murder, the nepotism, the pilfering, the schisms, all are great reading material, especially with me having the privilege of never having been Catholic closest I've ever gotten was that my ex-husband went through 13 years of Catholic school, and that culminated in me having to explain catechism to him. He obviously (laughs) retained a lot of it. Seriously, he thought the Apostles' Creed fought Rocky Balboa. (laughs) I worked very hard on that joke this afternoon. I'd like to appreciate it when it comes by. I'm, I'm constantly uh, surprised at how many Catholics think that uh, the Immaculate Conception refers to the conception of Jesus yeah. uh, rather than the conception of Mary. Yeah. So, about 50 years after the death of Martin Luther, and 78 or so years after he had published his 95 Theses, so it was just before the time in Laura's segment, a long-lost prophecy was discovered by a Benedictine monk named Arnold Wyan. This prophecy was only a small part of his Lingam Vitae, a history of the Order of St. Benedict, but it caused a really big stir. The prophecy, which was apparently the work of a 12th century Irish priest, St. Malachi, predicted a list of popes starting in the 1140s and continuing on for 112 entries, describing each pope in turn until Peter the Roman, who will bring about the destruction of Rome and the end of the papacy. Now, I can understand a scroll or a codex getting lost in the Vatican Apostolic Archive for 400 years, especially before any sort of electronic catalog. So let's put that miraculous discovery aside for now, and let's discuss St. Malachi. St. Malachi was born in 1094 in Ireland, and he was the very first native-born Irish saint to be canonized, a topic that the ghost of his mother will never tire of telling anyone. (laughs) She's also very, very proud of Malachi's brother Christian, who became Bishop of Cogler, but who never quite applied himself enough to become a saint. (laughs) Malachi was born into a noble family and studied under one of the abbots of Armagh. Bless you. The abbots of Armagh believed in reforms for the Irish church, views which Malachi also came to adopt. After he was ordained in 1119, Malachi became vicar of Armagh, and imposed a heck of a bunch of rules the diocese had been letting slack. I'm not sure if I'm saying it in Irish or if I'm saying it in Klingon, and I apologize. (laughs) Through some good timing and some well-placed relatives, Malachi then became abbot of Banger Abbey. (laughs) That's a terrible abbey name! (laughs) And made his way in 1132 to being the primacy of Armagh, or the top Catholic in all of Ireland. His dedication and zeal helped him restore church-based marriage, confession, and much-needed ecclesiastical discipline to the Irish church. He also cared for the sick, 
worked miracles, and planted apple trees all around Ireland to stave off famine. When did he have time to be stuck by a long and detailed prophecy? <laughs> Maybe he had time after he resigned two of his sees in 1137, or while traveling to Rome a couple of times, or while building the Abbey of Mellifont? There's no way that he traveled to Rome and back from Ireland in the Middle Ages, like, multiple times. I mean, like, it's possible, but he probably... You know, his mom inflates his ego and everybody believes her, and... Well, he took two known trips to Rome. And in the second, it ended on November 2nd, 1148, and he fell into the arms of St. Bernard, being quite dead. And probably quite exhausted. Was St. Bernard a giant puppy? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. If we believe the prophecy of the popes is a real and true document by St. Malachi, we will have to assume it was foreseen and written down after his semi-retirement in 1137, but before 1143, when the first pope in the prophecy puts on the big hat. So it's a couple years before he died. That was Pope Celestine II, who the prophecy describes as from a castle of the Tiber. Well, it describes him that way in Latin, and we've all heard my mispronunciations of Latin on this podcast, so I'm going to use Wikipedia's handy English translations. <laughs> Pope Celestine II, shockingly, was born in the castle on the banks of the Tiber River in Italy. Entry number two in the prophecy translates to Enemy Expelled. Lucius II, about whom it is supposedly written, purportedly had the birth name of Gerardo Canamici, which translates to Drive Out Enemies. Even if the Pope belonged to that family in question, the surname most likely wasn't used by the family until a few centuries later. St. Malachi's prophecy has an entry for every Pope for a few centuries, so I got very excited when reading the list. We would finally know who bore the true line of the Holy See during the Western Schism. <laughs> this is my favorite part of papal history. From 1309 through 1377, the seven successive Popes lived in Avignon in what is now France. In 1377, Gregory IX returned the papacy to Rome, where the people rioted and demanded an Italian pope, leading to the election of Urban VI. Urban was an apostolic nightmare, so the crew of cardinals that got him elected noped themselves out to Agnani in central Italy and elected a new anti-pope, the first of five or so. It's really bad that no one remembered this prophecy existing, that they could check various background traits and naming puns to see who would be the supreme pontiff. It's really important that you make sure that the Pope and the anti-Pope are never in the same city at the same time, because otherwise there's a Pope-anti-Pope annihilation reaction, and the universe ends. Yeah, and that's how you get the Dark Pope, which I found out today <laughs> was just the name of the leader of the Jesuit order, because he wears a black cassock. I thought it was something really cool, but it's just the head <laughs> Jesuit. That's really his name? That is the name of the office. What? <laughs> what? This, I, this whole thing gets weirder every time I learn something about it. <laughs> I'm glad to bring you my Pope's expertise, Lauren. Are you? Did you ever read The Name of the Rose? Yes. I am a huge fan of Umberto Eco, uh, and I, I, I knew that either you must have read it, or I would have a very good book recommendation for yeah. you. <laughs> I haven't read it in about twenty years or so. I should probably pick it up again. It was definitely in high school. I love it. Yeah. So who did Malachi say was the real pope during the schism? Well, Malachi was a saint, therefore a miracle worker. He had entries both for the Avignon popes, the Roman popes, the Agnani popes, 
And the Pisan Popes. The what Popes? Pisan Popes. The Popes from Pisa. Hey, Paisanos, it's the Super Mario Brothers Super Show! My Italian is as bad as my Latin for the same reason. How could he have known? So let's let the mystery of Malachi's prediction of the popes and anti-popes in the schism dangle for a little bit. And let's go back to Brother Arnold Wyan, who discovered St. Malachi's prophecy in the basement of the Vatican, and, coincidentally, had access to the list of popes and anti-popes from 1143 through 1590. This guy definitely did not forge this this document. No, no, no. He's Catholic. That would be immoral. <laughs> Total divine coincidence. Well, not only did Wyon discover this prophecy, he provided a handy Coles Notes guide for the popes listed to the then-present day from, you know, when Malachi supposedly predicted them. This included number 72, which is one of my favorites, Half-Body of the Balls, which referred to Pope Gregory XII and his personal coat of arms that had half of the body of a dragon as a blazon. That's the picture on the coat of arms. The balls... Well, they referred back to Pope Pius IV, who made Pope Gregory a cardinal. Pius shared his papal coat of arms with the other Medici family popes, of which he was one, and it was blazoned with five red balls on a gold background. Half-body of the balls. Without Wyan's translations of Malachi's cryptic notes, entries for future popes became a lot more difficult to decipher. So these are the ones after he found the, the manuscript. But... If modern conspiracy theorists have shown us anything, it's that people are willing to leap huge gaps of logic to get to their desired conclusion. One of my personal favorites in this list, showing a wonderful use of circular logic, is entry 89, Surrounded Flowers, for Pope Clement XI. Due to his place in the prophecy, which was in wide distribution during his 1700 coronation, a medal was struck up for him, with his new personal motto, Flores Circumdati which means surrounded by flowers. For a pope that our listeners might be a bit more familiar with, we can look to entry 110 in the prophecy, which translates to from the labor of the sun, or of the eclipse of the sun. Supposedly, for Pope John Paul II, this relates to the fact that there were eclipses on the dates of both his birth and his funeral. These eclipses did not take place in the area of the world of either pope-related event. <laughs> You certainly could plan a funeral for that day if you wanted to. Yeah. Other interpretations about these labors of the sun or eclipses of the sun draw a connection between JP2 and Copernicus, since both of them were Polish, and they lived in Krakow for parts of their lives. <laughs> oh my god. Astute listeners, who are used to listening to me ramble, will remember me mentioning that there were only 112 entries in the Prophecy of the Popes. And if John Paul II was 110, doesn't that make the current Pontiff Francis the Pope to end all popes? Is he destined to destroy the world? Is this another Mayan calendar scenario where, like, it just they they just run out of names, but don't actually say that the world is ending? Well, it's, it's like the Mayan calendar thing is a cycle, right? So that big cycle is done. And so you, then you start a cycle yeah, again. Right. So so who's number one again? <laughs> uh, Peter. Uh, I mean, presumably it would be Peter. Peter. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the Catholic Church will just come to an end. I mean, it's doing its best to self-implode. Yeah. Really, so it can't be that far. It's trying real hard. <laughs> That's one way to look at it. 
and some of the prophecy believers have other ways to describe it as well. So let's look at the translation, because I'm not doing the Latin, of Malachi's prophecy for entry 112. Peter the Roman, who will pasture his sheep in many tribulations, and when these things are finished, the city of seven hills, Rome, will be destroyed, and the dreadful judge will judge his people. The end. Yes, it actually says the end. It says fini. <laughs> Proponents of the prophecy are trying so hard to link this to Pope Francis. It's all over the internet, in very small circles. <laughs> the closest these people can come so far is that St. Francis of Assisi's father was named Peter, and if this Pope Francis named himself after St. Francis, that has to be the connection, right? Wow. That's a, that's a long walk. Sure, why not? That's some QAnon level. I love level. that the best they can get with it is if this pope named himself after St. Francis. Like He was surrounded by flowers, Laura. Now, there are other folks who draw attention to the extra sentence between prophecy items 111 and 112, which occurs nowhere else in the Lingnam Vitae's recitation of the prophecy. So this is the only one that doesn't refer to a pope. This line reads... In the final persecution of the Holy Roman Church, there will sit. Oh. Now, that's not a full sentence. That, that sounds like an ellipsis. Yep. That's not a full sentence. We can tack that on to the first sentence of the item 112, which does start with Peter the Roman. So that would be in the final persecution of the Holy Roman Church, there will sit Peter the Roman. Or, as Jem said, we can take this to mean an ellipsis. Yada yadaing over an untold list of popes who don't get any prophetic markers until we get to the part about the destruction of Rome. Why would Malachi, who gave us such prophetic gems as Rake in the Door and Wavy Man, <laughs> what? These are two of the names he gave to popes. Oh boy. Okay, okay, so we are all picturing a pontiff hat on top of one of those wavy arm flailing inflatable tubes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And stepping on a rake. Yes. Yeah, the, the, just the, the Pope pulling a sideshow bomb. Yes. My nemesis. <laughs> so he cut it down to nicknames like this, like you'd get in a bad frat. So why would he just give up? Why would a saint not be given the entire lineage up until the end of the world? Well, probably because the prophecy of the popes had nothing to do with St. Malachi and everything to do with Brother Arnold Wyan. <laughs> Yep. No. Gas. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of searching the Vatican storage room, Brother Wyon was writing. And he wasn't just writing his translation code to the prophecy, but the whole darn thing. Remember St. Bernard, in whose arms St. Malachi expired? Well, he wrote a biography of his good friend, chock full of notes guaranteed to get him a canonization. But he didn't bother to mention the whole being struck with the holy word and writing cryptic sayings in bad Latin but the future thing. And, if it had happened, Bernie would have made sure folks knew. Being a holy prophet of God is a faster track for sainthood than planting apple trees. There are no mentions of the prophecy of the popes for intervening centuries. The descriptions of the prophesied popes get more vague after 1590. And the verses and explanations given by Wyon for popes before his lifetime closely track to a 1557 history of popes by Onofrio Panvinio, including a bunch of errors that Penvinio made. Hmm. It looks like our friend Brother Wyon was both a fabulist and a forger. 
Why would he have gone through such trouble for speculative Bible fan fiction? Any guesses? He did it to win friends and influence people. <laughs> Arnold Wyan's friend, Cardinal Girolami Simoncelli, was one of the candidates for Pope in the conclaves of 1555, 1559, 1565, 1590, 1591, and 1592. Forgot how often they yeah. used to go through popes. They did not have a long <laughs> shelf life in the late 16th century. Entry number 75, which purportedly described Pope Gregory XIV, elected in 1590, states that this pope was of the antiquity of the city. Cardinal Simoncelli was from Orvieto, which translates to herbs witis in Latin, or old city in English. Prophecy believers shoehorn Gregory into this description because his father was a senator of Milan, a city founded around 400 BCE, and everyone knows that the word senator is derived from the Latin senex, which means old man. Of course, everyone knows that. Everyone. <laughs> Everything we can tell about the prophecy of the popes points to it being propaganda to elect Girolamo Simoncelli. Hmm. Sadly, Arnold Wyan put in all that work and Simoncelli died miterless in 1605. <laughs> Arnold Wyan followed in 1610. I'm going to give the final word on the prophecy of the popes to M.J. O'Brien, a Catholic priest who wrote a monograph on it in 1880. These prophecies have served no purpose. They are absolutely meaningless. The Latin is bad. It is impossible to attribute such absurd triflings to any holy source. Those who have written in defense of the prophecy have brought forward scarcely an argument in their favor. Their attempts at explaining the prophecies after 1590 are, I say with all respect, the sorriest trifling. Popes, popes, popes. I have many more segments around many more other pope and papal atrocities. There's so many to choose from. There's so much papal bull. <laughs> womp womp. So onward to the more modern age. I've chosen to cover a prophet called Baba Vanga. Vangelia Dimitrova was born in 1911 in Strumica, in what was then part of the Ottoman Empire, but which changed hands many times, and which is now in North Macedonia. For much of her life, uh, it was part of Bulgaria, now North Macedonia. She was a poor peasant girl, her mother having died shortly after the First World War and her father being conscripted as a soldier. Her father was later arrested for pro-Bulgarian activism and had his property confiscated for his activism. Uh, and even later in life, when her fame was at its height, she lived fairly modestly. So she wasn't in this for the money. When she was 12, by her own testimony and a few uh, witnesses from her family which have corroborated her story, there was a tornado or a windstorm just that came out, out of nowhere, lifted her from the ground, and flung her into a field. It's a twister! It's a twister! With her house and her dog? No house, no dog. <laughs> she apparently was found after quite a long search, so it must have been a decent distance. But when she was found, her eyes were full of sand and dirt and she couldn't open them. And uh, she had a few surgeries, whatever her family could afford, but that couldn't stop her from going blind. She was blind for the remainder of her life. And after her vision loss, she believed that her other senses and powers came to the fore. And she began soothsaying and offering predictions as well as doing herbalism. 
She was able to attend a school for the blind for three years and then returned home to care for her siblings after the death of her stepmother. The Second World War turned out to be Vanga's big break. Her reputation for soothsaying had grown and people started to come from far away to ask her about relatives missing in the war. Vanga would tell them whether they were alive or provide hints as to where their remains could be found if she believed that they were not alive. Even the Tsar of Bulgaria visited her for advice, so she was a big deal. People knew her name and they came to get her advice. She was only semi-literate. She could uh, read some braille. But no true record of her prophecies exists. She never wrote a book or anything, and nobody started writing them down for a long time. Uh, Obviously, this makes verifying them pretty tough, especially Mm -hmm. finding out exactly the words that she used. Like Nostradamus, we can do all kinds of ridiculous like numerology and stuff by counting the letters and the paragraphs and whatnot. I used to love those shows on the History Channel. Uh, (laughs) So I remember (laughs) seeing all of the different techniques they would use to make it mean whatever they wanted. For me, it was the videotapes advertised in the commercials of Maury Povich. (laughs) (laughs) My after school show for many years. So, yeah, we don't have any way to, like, look at the exact words that she used for most of her prophecies. Uh, By 1966, her fame and reputation had grown to such an extent that Bulgaria stepped in and put her on the state payroll. What? Yeah, they they paid her to be a soothsayer. I didn't know they had a position like that. (laughs) You gotta make it for yourself. And they... They hired her staff, and the staff were there to write down the stuff she said, but also mostly just to handle the overwhelming number of people who wanted to see her. Uh, They would do like a triage of who got to come see her and make sure that they got through as many appointments in a day as possible, I guess. (laughs) I get that, but still, why is she on the government payroll? (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't know what was so, you know, uplifting about her that they decided like... We should just pay someone to take care of this old lady. What else do you know about Bulgaria and that time frame? Well, I was, yeah. (laughs) Well, and as I was saying, like her homeland went back and forth between so many different governments and and occupying powers. Yeah, it was quite a whirlwind. Mm -hmm. But anyway, on the state payroll, people taking care of her appointments. People would bring her presents. They would bring her money, but she didn't keep most of it. Um, Eventually there was a church built in where she lived using only the funds that people had brought Baba Vanga. She just put them all aside to build a church. Okay. I mean, she got a comfortable life out of it, but she could have, if she wanted to, taken advantage so much more. Right. So some of her predictions, which are seen as having come true, one of the only ones where I could find an actual like written down version of what she said in English. Uh, in 1989, she predicted, Horror, horror, the American brothers will fall after being attacked by the steel birds. The wolves will be howling in a bush and innocent blood will be gushing. I'll give you three guesses. 9-11. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that one was seen as like a clear hit. Um, she was also known i think she became quite well known after the sinking of the kursk the kursk sank in 2000 and her prediction was something along the lines of waters come up and cover the kursk and the whole world weeps uh so after that she got a quite a large following in russia of people Mm -hmm. being like oh clearly this lady knows what she's talking about so she actually said the name of the the well but kursk is also like a province in russia and like it's not an unknown word uh 
I see. Uh, some of her predictions, like for the one, the Indonesian tsunami, are like they could apply to any like any big wave in any year because it was something like um, waters rush up and cover the coast and lots of people die. Right. <laughs> so that's how they get you. Never ever happens. <laughs> yeah. Floods had never happened no. before in her time. So. <laughs> Waves were unknown before. <laughs> <laughs> this one I really wish I could ha- have found a translation for. She apparently predicted that the 44th president of the United States would be African American and that he would be the last commander in chief. But she also has predictions about the 45th president. So I don't know how that was supposed to work. <laughs> Maybe he, he's not I mean, a commander in chief. Very, He's not a very good commander in chief. That's for certain. Um, so, you know, these could still come true. Yeah, so she predicted that the 45th president would be a messianic figure faced with a crisis. Oh, yeah. no. I feel like people have spouted this about him. QAnon, come get your gal. Mm-hmm. So, uh, does it change your opinion of her if I tell you that she's been dead for 23 years? <laughs> so these aren't like prophecies that she made about like Obama and Trump. She didn't know who these 44th and 45th people were going to be. Right. You know, it is kind of impressive that she got the 44th president being african-american i mean right like i feel that's a pretty good hit like people will argue about whether or not you know like what counts as black versus african-american whether Mm -hmm. you know you have to be descended from slaves to qualify that's but that is not our conversation to have exactly well and and the lack of melanin on this panel thinking of who she was too she would have even less like oh sure she yeah. she would have no concept of that based on her history and where she is in the world and and that kind mm-hmm. of thing so she she would just throw out whatever term she's familiar with i think yeah and people will interpret it however however they interpret it um yeah. but uh i don't know like i assumed that she had been dead for some time when she said a lot of this stuff like i didn't as you were going through it. I mean, it, she was born in 1911, so that was right. the first clue. Well, I, I <laughs> honestly, I kind of tuned out when you had said that. I realized I was daydreaming. Um, but I just, given the fact that the the Two Towers prediction was so, what was it, 89, you said? Yeah. And so there was such a time gap there that I was pretty sure that all of her predictions were just things that people then matched up to current events. As mm-hmm. for the hit part of it, like, yeah, it's specific, but she could have been thinking like, she might have known enough to be like, there's a lot of black or African-American people in the U.S. There's going to have be, to elect one like, eventually. Like she was probably like, they've probably had like another one by now or something like that. But I'll go a little bit further just to be on the safe side. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's I, if I was her, that's how I would do it. If that's even what the prophecy originally said, right. like, did it originally say 44 or is someone tweaking this a little bit? I don't know. That's fair. She's also said to have predicted Brexit, the rise of ISIS, oh. and maybe, maybe President Trump getting coronavirus. What? Uh, so I had picked this topic before this came up, <laughs> but her name has gotten like a big boost in the last week. <laughs> oh, God. Because, uh, yeah, we're recording this on October 9th. Uh, Trump got coronavirus and announced it anyway on the 1st. 
So people have been pointing to this prophecy that uh, in 2019, they thought it was about 2019, uh, and said that she had said that he gets a mysterious illness, which will result in him having tinnitus, hearing loss, and brain trauma. So a lot of people uh, back when they were thinking about it said, well, it's going to be brain cancer or something like that. But of course, now that he's come down with the Rona, everybody's going, uh, Baba Vanga predicted this, ah! Oh, Lord. <laughs> okay. Sure, why not? Why not? This yeah, I year mean, is just a... It's a mysterious illness. Maybe it'll leave him with some brain trauma. I don't know. I'm being couth, Ashlyn. Mm-hmm. I'm being so couth. <laughs> me too. But professional ethics require me to be couth. <laughs> her followers claim that something like 85% of her prophecies have come true. Uh, There are, however, definitely some big ones that we know about that were quite specific that have not come true. I always think these are fun. Oh, yes. Uh, There was supposed to be a nuclear world war in 2010 to 2014. You don't remember that? Nope, sure don't. Huh. The 1994 FIFA World Cup final was to have been played between two teams whose names start with B. So I really appreciate that this was like really dialed in, like the year was there. Yeah, she went out on a limb on this. Two teams that start with B. It turned out that the final was Brazil and then Italy, but Italy had won narrowly over Bulgaria. So she was pretty close. <laughs> I do like that this is kind of like um, the the whole John Edwards stick where he's like, I guess playing charades with the ghosts or something and you know mm. I can't quite I think I'm hearing a, a J sound he's having to talk about the J or G name as well so there's got to be a J or G connection that comes up in your family why are some of them vague in a poetical way and some of them are just like hangman fill in the letters yeah yeah she got most of the message but not quite like what is the mechanism for <laughs> <Yeah>. this <laughs> also she has a lot of predictions for the future, like tons with specific years attached and everything. So we'll be able to follow her prophecies for thousands of years Ooh. and see how many of them continue to keep turning out true. It's cute that you think we're going to last thousands of years. <laughs> so predictions for the future include regarding the 45th president of the United States. Everyone will put their hopes in him to end it, but the opposite will happen. He will bring the country down and conflicts between North and South states will escalate. So guess what people are doing with that one? <laughs> it's boogaloo time. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, and everyone will put their hopes in him to end the virus, but the opposite has certainly happened. Uh, she believes that cloning will cure most diseases in the future. Oh yeah, remember when human cloning was like the thing? Yeah, yeah, it was a big thing. And now it's like CRISPR. Uh, sometime between 2262 and 2304, we will figure out time travel. Good news. Awesome. Well, that's there you go. That's where she gets her prophecies. <laughs> yeah. But figure out as in theoretical or figure out as in working model. Well, didn't they just do that today? Like I saw a news story about some physicist has figured out a workable theory of time travel or some way in which it can exist. I don't know. So I headline. You can cut that out. Uh from 2341, natural and man-made disasters render Earth uninhabitable. Humanity escapes to another solar system. Good for humanity, maybe. Bad for that new solar system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all come from Earth that was. Keep flying. I'm a leaf on the wind. I mean, part of it depends on, you know, if all of humanity goes or just some of humanity, but... 
just the telephone sanitizers and the hairdressers. And... You mean you've got a hold full of frozen hairdressers? Oh, yes, millions of them. Push off, will you? There's a good fellow. I'm trying to take a relaxing bath. From 4302 to 4674... The concepts of evil and hatred have been eliminated. Humans are immortal and have assimilated with aliens. Nice. Resistance is futile. Cool. In 5079, the universe will come to an end. And that is where her predictions end. Okay, well. Why why so early? I don't know. She got tired. (laughs) (laughs) She didn't want to have to fill in the gaps anymore. They're letting us into other solar systems. The whole thing's just done for her. Some people believe that she predicted her own death. She died August 11th, 1996, uh, and her final wish was that her home where she lived out her last days was to become a museum. Uh, And so people still go and visit her home to this day. So uh, I would say that she is a relatively harmless prophet. Um, She didn't charge people money for her prophecies. She probably believed in whatever she was saying. Did she get her pope elected? <laughs> as far as I know, she didn't have a pope. But that's the story of Baba Vanka. Interesting. I wasn't familiar with her before. I find it interesting how widespread her fame got. Uh, she still has millions of people who uh, apparently believe in her paranormal abilities. I bet she's got a subreddit. Always possible. I'm not looking. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, so basically, if prophecies existed, uh, all of the 2019 end of year uh, psychic pages would have been full of Earth locks down for a year and everything is terrible. So I think 2020 is a pretty definitive uh, test that prophecy does not exist. I was wondering if uh, we wanted to end these segments with uh, some prophecies of our own. Does anyone want to make some predictions? Oh, making predictions right now seems... Seems dire, bleak. hey? <laughs> like, should I predict we have... You know what? Like, what do we got to lose at this point? <laughs> yeah. I predict that we will have a vaccine by the end of next year. I predict that the vaccine will not be widely available until 2022. I like how those mesh. I also predict that Nintendo will announce uh, further delays for the upcoming Legend of Zelda sequel, and that a new Nintendo console will be forthcoming in 2022 or 2023. Mm. Any prophecies from you, Lauren? I predict that I'm going to have ice cream after we finish recording. Ooh. I feel like you're not allowed to pick something you have entire control over. Damn it. You're just being the best kind of prophet. (laughs) When you know the outcome, those are the prophecies you make. Psychic wins lottery. Why don't we ever see that headline? Exactly, right? I'm sorry, I've turned into a boomer tonight. Because they don't use their abilities for such crass ends. Yes, because obviously, if you win the lottery, the only thing you can do is spend that money in yourself, and you cannot use it, say, to feed orphans. (laughs) That would be impossible. It's just not allowed, Jeff. Exactly. Laura, anything you want to add? Yeah, I predict that uh, exactly one year from now, our power structures are going to be largely the same as they are today. Yeah. Ooh. I'm feeling pretty confident on that one. You're uh, uh-huh. putting your stakes in the status quo. <laughs> I don't want it to be true, but I have to listen to the universe. 
Oh, so while I was preparing for this show, I looked up whether any psychics had actually predicted the coronavirus. Yeah. And of course, there are a few who claim to have. But, of course, the one that came to the fore was Sylvia Brown. That's what oh. I was trying to think of her name. <laughs> oh, she's she's dead. Given. Oh, yeah, right? she died. That doesn't stop you. When did she die? A few years ago. Oh, quite ago. a while ago. Yeah, yeah. we did a yeah. show. And everybody think, rejoiced. Yeah, several years ago, because I think we, were, we weren't even in the hundreds for our episode count at that it point. It wasn't too long after she came to town? It was a few years. Yeah, it wasn't that. Like It was still in our memory. She died November 20, 2013. Oh. Mm-hmm. So I have to give her this. It was in a book that she wrote in 2008, and this is the text of it. In around 2020, a severe pneumonia-like illness will spread throughout the globe, attacking the lungs and the bronchial tubes and resisting all known treatments. Almost more baffling than the illness itself will be the fact that it will suddenly vanish as quickly as it arrived, attack again 10 years later, and then disappear completely. Mm-hmm. So we still have a little bit left of this prophecy, but like it feels pretty good, right? Like I would read that and say that's a pretty good hit for now. Um, There's no way it's going to disappear suddenly, though. <laughs> I mean, you never know. But um, like where we're at right now, like it sounds pretty good, right? Um, I think the context that's important here is that this was written right after SARS became a thing. Yeah. And like everybody in the news was talking about how something like this, if it's not this, is going to fuck up humanity. Yeah. We're due. So it's not as impressive. Yeah, exactly. In that context. Yeah. Well, why don't we uh, pull ourselves out of the gutter and do something nice? What is my something nice this month? I have a bunch of books on the go, as I always do, but I'm not really far enough in any of them that I'm confident recommending them. But in the in the scant few moments that I have not been studying for... <laughs> my blood and immunology exam uh, i have been playing some more super mario 64 hello and that okay. is that is my happy place and i discovered that i somehow remembered enough from i don't know sleepovers 25 years ago that i still managed to get all 120 stars in super mario 64 without looking anything up on the internet yay not there's anything wrong with that it's great, you know, like, it would have been nice. Uh, Nintendo, for listeners who are not aware, released a um, uh, sort of compilation of three classic 3D Mario games, and they're delightful. Arguably, you know, it's kind of a, a bare-bones collection, but it's still lovely to revisit them at a higher resolution, if no other tweaks. And, uh, yeah, I've also been playing a little bit of Hades. Hades is good. You know, everybody's talking about Hades, though. Go play Super Mario 64. And uh, emulators exist, in in case you don't have a Switch. (laughs) Lauren, what's your something nice? Oh, goodness. I knew this was coming. We have a new kitten baby joining our family tomorrow. And I'm looking forward and hoping with all hope that there isn't a lot of intercat screaming matches. (laughs) Yeah, our current cat is very good at screaming. We don't think that the new cat will be the problem, but we're hoping that our cat will love and accept her new sister. Or at least tolerate. Yeah. And I don't know. It sounds like I'm still going to be working from home till March, so I like that. 
It's the logistics of getting enough people into the elevators to get up to their correct floors while maintaining distancing is just impossible. Yeah, there's 2,200 people who work in that same corporation. It's a lot of people. What's your something nice, Laura? Uh, uh, uh... <laughs> Baked anything delicious lately? No, Jem keeps procrastinating and takes over. It's really <laughs> annoying. I mean, it's delicious, but... Yeah, every time I every time it was time for me to like buckle down and study, I'm like, well, maybe I'll make a coffee cake instead. <laughs> well, and that one was the worst because it was like, what did you say? You said Huxley was no, yeah. disappointed that I, it so, wasn't a coffee cake, and so then he decided, well, now I have to make coffee cake I, because the kid is disappointed. So, so <laughs> I offered I offered Huxley toffee cake, uh, which I had made already. <laughs> The previous day and he got excited and then when he saw it he said no that's not coffee cake and i said toffee cake and he said no i want coffee cake so i made him a coffee cake you're a sucker also any excuse is your child 73 years old <laughs> <laughs> i want the coffee cake hey, kira also loves coffee cake <laughs> and i mean it doesn't really belong in this segment but i did sure enjoy your saga of the pies that you tried to make no. <laughs> it's really funny that is not something nice no <laughs> oh jim ended up with two inedible pies that's the end of the story it was it was, it was a, a comedy of errors and this is why you don't procrastinate instead studying instead study no that sounds terrible for my something nice um, it has been, it has been busy the last while. Um, but I have had some nice times with the kids, each of them just doing some quiet things. And it's not really something that I can recommend to people, you know, like, unless you have kids, then I hope you have some nice quiet times with your, your kids where you connect with them. But it has been nice. That is nice. Yeah. Oh, that leaves me. Yes. What is your something nice? I discovered recently that you can buy stainless steel drinking straws in bulk on Amazon. And also that they are essentially the same thing as stainless steel mandrels that I use to make beads on. And I use the hollow ones to make these cool like mini vases and stuff. Uh, and they want like $15 for one tiny straw if you buy it from a glass website but if you buy them from amazon you can get 10 of them for ten dollars nice uh, so i bought some wide like bubble tea type straws that are stainless steel uh, and i made a really cute little tiny vase and i'm happy with it cute nice is the metal like is the metal thick enough or or whatever on the straws the ones that are meant for straws yeah it seems to be basically the same as my mandrels are so hmm. I'm, I mean, and if they burn through faster than the other ones, oh, well, it was a dollar. Right. I love those little serendipitous things. Just being able to use something in place of something that they want to charge you a lot of money for <laughs> makes me very happy. Yes. Deals. Oh, it's also Monopoly at McDonald's. Sometimes Dave gets extra fries now that it's McDonald's time. Fair enough. Oh, yeah. Hey, Jim, what are we talking about next time? I think I would like to talk about security. And that's our show for today, I think. Any final thoughts, anyone? We, we have our prophecies. We just have to wait for them to come true now. Yeah. We should write them down somewhere and like set a reminder to come back in a year and <laughs> see what <laughs> happened. 
<laughs> Wait, did Lauren actually make a good one? Did we make them do an actual prophecy? Lauren, Shit. prophesize. I prophesize that I will enjoy my ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Prophecy and something nice combined. Excellent. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Goodbye. Life, the Universe, and Everything Else is produced by Jem Newman and Ashlyn Noble, with mix and tech production by Jem Newman. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is with a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, or by sharing an episode with a friend. Original music is produced by Ian James, and this episode was edited by Jem Newman. moments when I try and come up with the beginning of our show and I can't are still baffling to me. Uh, <laughs> You're listening to Life, the Universe, and everything else. Yeah. Today I couldn't show. remember if I was supposed to introduce myself first. I've <laughs> right. only done this hundreds of times. I know. <laughs> 161. <laughs> I wasn't on all of them. You're listening. And technically oh. that's not... Sorry. I was... <laughs> I'm sorry. Technically, it's not what? It's not hundreds yet. That's true. It's less than hundreds. It's more than... But it's not hundreds. hundreds. It's more than a hundred, but it's not yet two hundred. Yes, it's not... Yeah. It is not multiple hundreds yet. one and a half tablespoons or one and a half tablespoon? (laughs) I would still not say that that is multiple tablespoons. Sure you would. It's one and a half hundreds. No, but hundreds I think we are found next note. month's topic. Hundreds kitten. are bananas. <laughs> <laughs> hundreds are what? Bananas, apparently. Shut up. Hundred is a a hundred is a distinct group, just like a yes. tablespoon is a distinct group. Would you say? No, 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 no. A tablespoon is a separate entity, whereas hundreds are by nature multiples. Scraps <laughs> 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 of prophecies. This is our podcast. <laughs> The prophecy of madness has come to pass. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so we have done this several times, and I can probably introduce this podcast if I try real hard. To play devil's advocate, you would say one and a half dozen, not one and a half dozens. But you would also say two dozen. You don't pluralize dozen. Yeah, that's a bad example. Well, yeah, but so, so two dozen okay, would be but, dozens. Yes, exactly. And one and a half dozen would not be dozens. Be dozens. Because there isn't but, dozens. But, 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 but you would say five hundred. <laughs> Each hundred is a, is a separate entity gem. So you have to wait until there's at least two like separate entities. But a tablespoon, a tablespoon may contain three teaspoons. But if you're talking about tablespoons, it can be its own thing. <laughs> Incomprehensible. <laughs> All right, there's the oh. show. Thanks for coming, everyone. <laughs> Next week on Sandwich Cast. <laughs> oh, God. Through some good timing and some well placed relatives, Malachi then became Abbot of Banger Abbey. <laughs> That's a terrible Abbey name. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs>
come with your Pornhub references. (laughs) (sighs) Through good timing and some well-placed relatives, Malachi became (laughs) Abbott. But did he have to audition? Is there an audition tape? (laughs) What was his casting couch experience like? Well, it was his uncle. (laughs) Yeah. Jim is just ranting about med school again. Well, why don't we uh, pull ourselves out of the gutter and... Do something nice? But I liked it in Banger Alley. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's Banger Abbey, but still, (laughs) it was funny. (laughs) Let's talk about something nice for a change. (laughs) Now I'm imagining, like, sexy nun costumes. <laughs> no. Oh, I'm imagining, like, the porn cover, though. That's what I mean. Thank you for that clarification. <laughs> He's telling me to talk about the J or G name as well. So there's got to be a J or G connection that comes up in your family. There's, I, I have a hard time hearing V names, but there's a V sound. I'm hearing a V name. So which one's connected to the A name? Like, is somebody Alex or somebody Allison or... And where's BR, like Brendan, Brian, Brandon? Who's the BR name? There's got to be Barbara. There's a BR name that they want me to highlight. There's something BR related in some way. Does he have a sister? Um, no. There's another, there's another dad here, guys. The one that's connected to JA, like James, Jack? I'm James. Okay, so you're James. So yeah. it's another one connected to you then. There's another dad. Unless there's a father-in-law. I have an uncle that's was he, passed. Was he like a dad to you? No, not really. It's like an uncle to me.